Hi, I'm Dr. Robin Koslowitz, clinical psychologist, parenting educator, and post-traumatic parent. Welcome to the Post-Traumatic Parenting Podcast, where we learn to provide our children with a healthy childhood, even if ours was anything but. Or maybe we had a wonderful childhood, but recent events in our lives have left us reeling. Let's face it, after 2020, we're all post-traumatic parents now. Welcome. Hi, I'm Dr. Robin Kozlowitz. I'm a clinical psychologist, a parenting educator, and the founder of the post-traumatic parenting community. So I will never forget the question that started me on the post-traumatic parenting journey. I was in an inner city hospital and I was giving a parenting class and parenting education is something that I have been very passionate about, specifically educating parents on how to parent particular profiles of children, which I learned from my mentor, Dr. Sandy McClowry, like we parent a shy child different than a kid who gets angry easily, different than a child who's been traumatized. And as I was teaching my class, a woman raised her hand and she said to me, how can I give my kids a normal childhood when mine was anything but? And I remember how that question hit me like a punch in the gut because her question was my question. And it was the question that started me on my journey to becoming a clinical psychologist. And it was the question that got me interested in the field of child development and trauma, PTSD recovery simultaneously. And that's what really led me on my journey. Like all psychologists, I think I went into the field specifically of trauma therapy on the order of physician heal thyself. I am a PTSD survivor. My childhood includes a father who was chronically very ill. Um, and when I was 16, my father died of a heart attack and I performed CPR in an effort to save his life. I'll never forget how the paramedics had to pulled me off his body, but the worst was not yet. After that, I began to experience PTSD, but as a 16-year-old girl, an honor student, a very, you know, motivated, committed kid, I didn't know about PTSD. So when I was having flashbacks, I thought I was going crazy and that I would end up on a psych ward. I had um, volunteered in a home for dually diagnosed, chronically ill patients who had diagnoses like schizophrenia. So I was pretty sure that I was schizophrenic and that I was going to end up um, on a word like that, never knowing that there was something like PTSD in this world. Um, what I say now to post-traumatic parents is it's a little bit like we're a duck, right? You know how a duck floats serenely on the water and it looks fine. It looks so beautiful. But if you look under the water, the duck's legs are paddling madly, trying to keep up and trying to manage. And that's what it's like being a post-traumatic kid. On the surface, we might even be the superstars. We're overachievers. We're doing great. But then under the surface, our legs are paddling madly because once we've been traumatized, our development takes us on a different trajectory. And then when we become parents, we have to figure out what to do with all of that. So I really wanted to understand trauma. And I also really wanted to understand parenting and child development, like from the inside out. So when that mom asked me that question, it was my question, and my life's mission was born. Welcome to our community. I have discovered that wherever I go, I meet post-traumatic parents. When I'm at a women in entrepreneurship event, and I talk to people who are founders and CEOs of their own company, and these are super impressive people, right, who take a company from a gleam in their eye to 15 employees in under a year, right, really amazing people. 
I'll talk about my podcast and about post-traumatic parenting, my book, and they'll be like, that's me. That's my story. And I'll hear stories about people who have been immigrants, people who have been bullied, people who have had chronic illness in their family, families that were just unhealthy emotional environments, right? And wherever I go, I meet somebody. I can be at a hospital working. I could be at a community clinic, of course, in my office, because that's where people go for help. I could be at a waiting room in my kid's pediatrician. I could be at the gym in the grocery store. Whenever I talk about post-traumatic parenting, so many people say, oh my gosh, that's me. I'm a post-traumatic parent. I never realized why parenting can be so hard for me. And it sometimes seems harder than it is for other people. And I never got it. Now I get it. You're right. It's the trauma that impacts our parenting. It's really not surprising because our definition of trauma has shifted a lot over the years. In the olden days, we kind of used to think of trauma as big events, right? So it would be things like being in a car crash, witnessing someone get shot in front of you, you know, a soldier on a minefield. We understand that those things are traumatic. And in fact, the first term for trauma was shell shock, right? That a soldier would be in a shelling and then he would come out of it and they would call it shell shock. But that really describes an adult who's pretty much already functioning. His personality is already formed. And now he had this discrete major traumatic event. But it doesn't really describe the kind of trauma that happens when we're children and we're living in an unhealthy environment or we're being bullied or school is shaming and blaming. And our personalities are developing as our trauma is growing, right? We used to think of trauma as huge, as discrete. We now know that a traumatic experience is just one that's too big to be metabolized by our psyche. Usually it involves a single experience or an enduring and repeating series of events that completely overwhelms our individual's ability to cope, right? We can't handle it. We can't digest it. We can't integrate the ideas and emotions involved with the experience. That sense of being overwhelmed can be immediate or it can come upon us much later as we process the event. But if you think about that definition, nowhere does it specify exactly what is considered traumatic, right? So many times when I talk about post-traumatic parenting, someone will say to me, that sounds like me. Wow, that really describes me. But yeah, what happened to me? I was only bullied. Or yeah, we lived in poverty. I don't know if that's traumatic enough. And it's a silly way of thinking about things because if you think about it, It's not the situation that's traumatic. It's the fact that it overwhelmed the person, right? So to add to the picture, we know other facts about trauma. There's a violation of a person's familiar ideas about the world. Like I sort of knew how the world was supposed to go and suddenly it's not behaving according to the rules that I used to have for the world, right? Um, There's some violation of your human rights, right? Putting you in a state of complete confusion and insecurity. It's also seen when people or institutions who are supposed to be helpful violate, betray, or disillusion us in some way. So if you think about that definition of trauma, it doesn't have to be the car crash or the shooting or the stepfather molesting someone or burning them with cigarettes, right? That doesn't necessarily mean trauma. Trauma can be living in a home where a parent is impacted by mental illness and is just not talked about, or having an older sibling who's a bully or having a teacher who's so shaming and blaming and not accepting of a learning disability, right? Those are traumatic experiences because they're too 
big for our developing brains to understand. And we have this certain view, right? Our parents are supposed to protect us. Our siblings are supposed to be kind to us. Or if they're mean to us, they're not supposed to be so mean that it overwhelms our ability to cope, right? Our schools are supposed to be protective, safe spaces. So when that doesn't happen, our brain goes, wait a minute. The most traumatizing, traumatogenic event is when the source of security and stability is also the source of trauma. So when a parent who you're going to go to for comfort and help is attacking, shaming, blaming, unavailable, perhaps dealing with their own mental illness, perhaps traumatize themselves, such as when you lose a parent, the other parent is traumatized too, so you kind of lose both of them, right? So in those types of situations, the person we're going to for our support and our stability is also the person in some ways causing the trauma, right? And that's a problem. So and those experiences, even if they're not on paper huge, those are traumatogenic, right? Being an immigrant, being made fun of because you don't have the kind of clothes and resources that other kids have, and it just kind of wears away at you. That's trauma. And it's not surprising that many people who are post-traumatic are also incredibly successful. We're going to get to that soon. It's not what happened, right? It's that it was overwhelming. Now, at the beginning of many of my post-traumatic parenting classes, when I used to do them in person, we would have parents who would start playing this game that I like to call trauma poker, right? Where one person would say, either raise her hand and call someone else out or come to me privately and say, you know, I don't think Sarah should be in our group. She was only bullied in elementary school. I was molested by my stepfather. Like, I have real trauma. She doesn't belong here. Or the Sarahs of the group would come to me and say something like, you know, I don't know that I belong here. Yeah, I was bullied as a kid, but it was a long time ago. And, you know, it's not like being molested by your stepfather or being in a house fire or losing a parent. I call that game trauma poker. It gets played every time I do post-traumatic parenting, where it's sort of like, I see your bullying experiences and I'll raise you a stepfather who molested me, right? I see your stepfather who molested you and I'll raise you a stepfather who molested me and also burned me with cigarettes, right? It's a really, really silly game to play because there are no winners, right? Congratulations, you win. You had the worst possible trauma right? You've successfully excluded someone else from the group. What's the point, right? The game makes no sense. If an experience could not be metabolized by your brain, even if you can't put it into words, such as a really invalidating home environment where your parents were so busy with their own big emotions, they couldn't help you with yours, right? Then you're traumatized. You belong in our community. You're from our planet. Welcome, right? And that's all it is. Don't play trauma poker. There are no winners. So. One of the key things that I like to talk about in post-traumatic parenting is the concept of fault lines, right? So what happens with trauma is, right, the traumas that happen as we're developing and as we're growing, they kind of create these invisible fault lines inside our personality. That's because of another concept I like to talk about called professor trauma. When we're traumatized, professor trauma comes out full force. That's our brain trying to protect us. So whatever our very immature and childish brain tells us is the cause of our trauma, that part, that professor, that trauma is going to come and say, don't do that. That's really dangerous. So if, for example, 
as a kid, your parents argued a lot and there was a lot of conflict in the home. And one day you came home and you asked for something. And then your mom or your dad turned to the other and said, you see, you spoil the kid. This is why this kid does not know the value of a dollar. And somehow a huge fight ensues because you asked for something, even something normal. Everyone in your class is collecting, I don't know, Hello Kitty, or everyone in your class is collecting Matchbox cars or, you know, taking some lesson on the weekends and you want to do it too, right? So you asked for something normal as a little kid. I want to take ballet. I want to take guitar. You know, I want to buy this, right? Normal things. I want a new bike, whatever. And then your parents argued, Professor Trauma might say to you, your fault, you bad person. You see, you asked for something. You're not supposed to ask for things. Be safe. Don't ask for things. And then as an adult, you might really struggle with self-care and with asking for things and with um, your ability to, you know, allow yourself to enjoy the fruits of your labor, to, to relax, to, to rest, right? Because you need to never ask for things and never need things, right? I see this at the beginning of therapy a lot where people can't even ask for support because that's just such a threatening thing to do to ask for something, right? Because Professor Trauma said that's what caused it. So in a way, that shame of it's my fault that my parents were fighting is also a very protective cognition. It's going to protect me from ever being in that experience again. So Professor Trauma is the most effective professor that there is. Because the lessons Professor Trauma teaches become so ingrained in our psyche that we don't even see them as Professor Trauma. We almost see them as this is just how the world is, right? This is how I need to be. People pleasing, being distractible, having difficulties with time management, inability to say no, inability to be imperfect, right? Perfectionism. These are all the lessons Professor Trauma taught us that get ingrained in our psyche and we don't even see them as Professor Trauma talking. The thing is, Professor Trauma is so effective, but it also lies, right? When we feel shame, we feel empowered, right? If I did that, it was dangerous, and I don't do that, it won't be dangerous. We don't want to think about the helplessness and the fact that we can't control the world because that feels very disempowering, right? So, but the thing is, and trauma to a certain extent tells the truth. A lot of times, trauma really does teach us what is dangerous and what the undercurrents are. And it trains our gut sometimes to the undercurrents, like this teacher is not a safe person. I don't know why she's smiling. She's saying everything that makes us indicate to the world that she's safe. But I feel unsafe because I know how to read lack of safety in adults because of my home environment. But at the same time, Professor Trauma sometimes lies. Sometimes it's really helpful. And that's why it's so confusing, right? The thing about trauma also is that it tells us the truth. And there's also a problem with trauma because in order to operate in the world, we need to operate within what we call the illusion of safety. We need to pretend that the world is a safe place where things are predictable and we pretty much know how to operate within it. The truth is the world is not a safe place. Events of the past year in 2020 definitely have taught us that we are not in control and the world can change on a dime, right? On a heartbeat, the world just changes. And we're not in control, but we need to live our lives pretending that we are, right? Because if we didn't, what would we do? Every time we get into our car and we think, oh, someone might have cut the brake line. The brakes might be faulty. I should go to the mechanic and check before I drive anywhere. Well, if I went to the mechanic and checked my brake line every single day, I would get nothing else accomplished. We call that condition OCD, right? And I'm not saying that OCD is post-traumatic. OCD can sometimes arise from post-traumatic 
experiences, but is mostly more neurobiological. So we're not going to get into OCD right now. But in general, right, we can't live our lives always double checking things. Recently, I had a conversation with a kid who does have OCD, who is refusing to re-enter the world um, even after his antibody testing is refusing to, you know, is holding up in his room, won't even allow his mother to allow the other kids back into school, right? Because how do you know for sure that they won't get COVID? Now, we don't know for sure that they won't get COVID. You could wear your mask. You could wash your hands. You can stay six feet apart from people. You still might get COVID. But he's right that the stakes are really high and the world is really, really unsafe. But it's pathological to live our lives without the illusion of safety. Trauma does that. Trauma pierces the illusion of safety. And then we go, wait, 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 the world is not a safe place. And where does that really impact us? Where is that a huge problem? When we parent, right? Because in our parenting, suddenly it's like, there's this little human that I have to protect and help and teach and make sure to not be negligent with and make sure to teach them and help them and help them grow and optimize their personality. I've got to do all this stuff. The stakes are super high. I'm like, all this kid's got. And the world is in a safe place. I know this professor trauma has taught me that. So how do I keep this kid safe? How do I make sure that this kid knows things? And also kind of wonder, I don't want my kid to have the lessons professor trauma taught me, but they're such important lessons. Like, I don't want my kid to be a people pleaser, but at the same token, right now, I people please because it feels so unsafe not to. How do I teach my kid to be safe, but not to people? How do I do that? So we know the first time we really look for help with our trauma is when we're parenting. Because like I said, trauma creates these invisible fault lines in our personality. And like on the surface, everything looks normal. And like, it's a regular neighborhood. It's fine. Everything's fine and dandy. Everything's great. But deep beneath the surface of that neighborhood, there are fault lines. And it doesn't matter, right? A house can sit on a fault line for a thousand years and nothing will happen if that fault line doesn't move. But the minute that fault line moves, there's going to be an earthquake. And then we're going to know, oh, there was a crack underneath the surface. Parenting is that earthquake. Because parenting exposes the cracks and the fault line. It's parenting that makes us say, wait a minute. This neighborhood looks perfectly safe, but maybe it isn't. Maybe I need to do something with this. Parenting provides those stressors that just make the fault lines apparent. It's also in parenting is when we look bad at our own parenting experiences and we say, wow, I know what not to do. Like I want to parent opposite the way I was parented, let's say, or I don't want my parents to leave me with the sensations that, um, that I had. So I know what not to do, but now how do I know what to do? Our own parenting kind of creates our gut feelings about parenting, right? How often do we as parents find ourselves saying that thing that we thought we'd never say to our kid, right? How often do we as parents find ourselves sounding just like our parent? Like, you know, you know, if you are not here by the count of three and you're like, oh my gosh, is that me? Am I yelling at my kid right now? The thing I said I'd never do, the threat I said I'd never make, the feeling they must have in the pit of their stomach that I said I would never give my own child, but it's our script, right? That's the script in our head because that's what we heard and that's what we saw. And that's even if we had fabulous, amazing parenting, because even the most amazing parents will sometimes miss the boat 
and will sometimes not get it because they could be fantastic and tuned in and still miss a lot. And then those things we don't want to miss because we know how important they are not to miss, but how do you not miss them? We have a rule in behavior therapy that I can't help you with a behavior that you want to not do. It's called the dead man's rule. Anything that a dead man can do better than you is not a behavior you can learn. So how can I not yell? Well, a dead man can not yell better than me. Therefore, it's not not yell. It's how can I talk effectively when I'm angry or traumatized or stressed out? So if we're thinking, I don't want to do this, I don't want to be like this, I don't want to be like my parent in this way and in that way, great. But what do you yes want to do, right? And that's where we go, wait, what do I want to yes do? How do I learn this? That's the post-traumatic parenting class. To learn those things that we don't know because they either weren't taught to us or we were so preoccupied by our trauma that our parents were doing a great job, but our brain couldn't process that great job. That's why in post-traumatic parenting, I break down simple things like how do you read a storybook to a kid and use that storybook to teach that kid a lesson about the big emotion that little human is struggling with? How do you hack a toy into a social and emotional learning experience for your kid? Because we know that it's during play that kids' minds are open and we're attuned to our kid. And that's the time in our life that we can be most effective as parents. So how do you do that? How do you effectively play with your child? Because we don't know these things if we didn't have that normal childhood, right? And that's what we teach. Another huge thing that we're going to talk about a lot on this podcast is parenting perfectionism. Parenting perfectionism is this desire to be the perfect parent because maybe we didn't have that. So many post-traumatic parents come into my office and Parenting perfectionism is their thing. I'm going to do it perfectly. I'm going to handle it perfectly. I'll have parents like new to divorce or new to widowhood saying like, I'm going to handle this divorce for my kids. Perfect. It's going to be great. I'm going to do this right. And that determination sounds fantastic and it's coming from a great place. But that perfectionism leads to parental burnout. When we try to do it perfectly, we end up burning out because you can't do it perfectly. And burnout is actually correlated with harm. Burnout is actually correlated with parents doing things that are actively harmful to their kids, like escape ideation, trying to just escape from their kids, running away, or actually getting violent or neglectful or cynical, where you're just kind of detached from the kid. And that's a horrible place for the person who came in saying, I'm going to do it perfectly. I need to do it perfectly. I didn't have it done perfectly. I know what that's like. I never want that to be my kid. And then they burn out. The thing that post-traumatic parents don't know is, and that parents who had a healthy childhood really know is, it's not about the rupture. It's about the repair. It's healthy to sometimes rupture your relationship with your children in your childhood. As crazy as that sounds, um, D.W. Winnicott, the famous um, parenting psychologist, said that perfect parenting is toxic. Everything in medicine, there's a principle that everything is toxic in the excess, even something good. Vitamin D is a good thing. We all could use a little bit more of it. It's protective. You can die from an overdose of vitamin D. You can, you can have liver damage if you overdose on certain good things. Anything beneficial is toxic in the excess, and that includes perfect parenting. So trying to be that perfect parent is toxic. It's not smart. And what we have to learn how to do is fail properly and then repair it, fix it, learn how to say, I'm sorry, 
learn how to talk about that failure, how to own it, how to be open and non-defensive. Because sometimes when a kid comes to us and says, mom, you gave me big feelings when you did that, we want to say, oh, no, 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 I didn't make that mistake. You're fine, right? We want to say that because we can't bear the fact that we made a parenting mistake. But if instead we say things like, wow, I gave you big feelings, it didn't mean to hurt you. I'm really sorry that you were hurt. I'm going to validate the valid parts of this, right? Even if then I have to not validate the invalid parts. Like I still do have to give you a consequence for that thing that you did because it's my job as a parent to teach you how to be safe. So we might do that part too, but we start with validating the valid, right? Not dismissing our kids' emotions, even if it's unbearable to us to think that we made a parenting mistake. It's never the rupture. It's always the repair. Always, always, always. So that's so important for post-traumatic parents to know. So in this podcast, we're going to explore professor trauma and all its impacts on our parenting. We're going to talk about all the ways professor trauma talks to us as parents. And we're going to talk to experts. I have a lineup of amazing experts that I've interviewed in fields like behavioral science, parental burnout, mom shaming. Did you know that there's actually research on mom shaming and how it works? And dads, there's research on dad shaming too, and on parenting shaming as well. Entrepreneurship, being a working parent, trauma, understanding the various things that trauma puts us through, understanding child development, how it works, understanding things like temperament, understanding things like how to choose a good toy for your kid, how to maximize playtime, how to maximize reading a storybook. We're going to talk to children's book authors on how they use their understanding of child development to make the perfect storybook, right? The really great storybook that we can use in our story time to kind of make our kids understand that we are the right address to go to to talk about big emotions, right? We're going to talk a lot about Mr. Rogers, my hero, who um, I actually wrote a letter to Mr. Rogers after my father died. I was 16 years old and Watching Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood became my safe space for a while at that age. I just wanted to be soothed and to watch a really safe, now looking back at it, maybe father figure talk about emotions. And I'm going to tell the story about the letter I wrote to Mr. Rogers and what he wrote back because I felt like that was almost is one of the things that set me on my path to being a child development expert and a parenting educator and a psychologist was because of the example Mr. Rogers set. And it's Mr. Rogers who teaches us how to talk to kids about big emotions and how to be that really awesome post-traumatic parent where we learn how to um, integrate our knowledge of what we were like as kids and our big emotions as kids into our parenting so that I want us to say, oh, yeah, I am going to do it better. I'm not going to do it perfectly because perfect's impossible, but I'm going to do it better and better and better and better. We're also going to meet a lot of post-traumatic parents and some of the post-traumatic parents that I've been lucky enough to meet. I mean, these are literally an all-star cast. Every post-traumatic parent I have ever met in their own way is a superstar, whether it's a superstar in their field, whether it's a superstar in their parenting, in their wisdom, in their ability to understand the world. I've met CEOs of huge companies who are post-traumatic parents. I've met professors, researchers, authors, people who have done and achieved incredible things in their life 
And it wasn't until they looked at their lives and their achievements and their endeavors through the lens of being post-traumatic that they said, oh, right, I get it now. It's the trauma that to a certain extent drove my success. And what I always say to post-traumatic parents, especially the entrepreneurs among us, is you know how people describe us as driven a lot? Wow, she's so driven. She's accomplished so much in her life. I kind of don't want to be driven anymore. I want to be the driver. I still want that passion. I still want that disruptor energy that trauma gave me, that ability to see the world through a different lens, that knowledge that emotions matter and the way I parent matters. I want that, but I don't want to be driven. I want to be the driver. And if that's you, you're going to find a home here with us, with the entire post-traumatic parenting community. We're also going to go through some lenses of psychotherapy that help us understand post-traumatic parenting, not from a clinical sense, right? This is not therapy, of course. And of course, if you need therapy, I strongly recommend being in therapy. I think therapy is a life-changing thing and everybody who's post-traumatic should be in therapy, sometimes more intensively, sometimes less intensively, but therapy is a fantastic thing. This is not a replacement for that. But being a post-traumatic parent we sometimes find it helpful to look at certain lenses of psychotherapy. So we're going to explore the work on trauma of experts like Bessel van der Kolk. We're going to look at the work of people like Peter Levine. We're going to look at the work of people like Dick Schwartz and really understand different therapeutic approaches. We're going to talk about therapeutic approaches with real experts in the field, approaches like ACT, acceptance and commitment therapy, and what that tells us about trauma, DBT, dialectical behavior therapy and the lens it gives us about trauma and particularly the invalidating environment and growing up feeling invalidated. We're going to talk to experts on EMDR, eye movement desensitization and reprocessing about their understanding of trauma and how it impacts our development of the self. We're going to look at attachment theory, internal family systems, family dynamics, therapies like trauma-focused cognitive behavioral therapy, cognitive processing therapy or theory, right? Just different approaches to trauma and different approaches to child development and parenting that help us understand post-traumatic parenting so that we have a better approach because it's always great to kind of talk to the experts in the field and understand what their research tells us. I always say when people say to me, because this is also a typical post-traumatic trait, is to be very independent and to say like, no, I can do this. I can figure this out on my own. I got this, right? So it's a very typical post-traumatic trait to want to do it all on your own. But I kind of liken that to the concept of going to a party and tasting a cake that a neighbor made. Finally, you're at this potluck and a neighbor made this really interesting, fantastic cake. And you can taste the cake and you can kind of do that thing that the judges on bake-off shows do where you like crumble it up and root around amongst the crumbs and you say, hmm. I'm detecting notes of cinnamon and perhaps some cocoa. I think perhaps there's an extract in here. Perhaps it's vanilla, right? And you can then go to your kitchen with those crumbs and try to reconstruct the cake. And after many failed attempts and a lot of work and a lot of wasted ingredients, you eventually might reconstruct that recipe. Or here's a thought. You can call the lady with the recipe and you can be like, hi, so how'd you make your cake, right? Sometimes it's so much more effective and in terms of time and in terms of effort and in terms of energy and for sure, in terms of avoiding burnout, it's so much more effective to just call the lady with the recipe and be like, 
hi, how'd you make the cake? That's what therapy is. So for me, calling these experts and interviewing them, it's kind of like, okay, I'm going to call the person with the recipe and be like, hi, you wrote a book on trauma. I'm a post-traumatic parent. Help me use your research to inform post-traumatic parenting, right? We'll call the person with the recipe because they probably know and they can probably help us. So that's our goal in interviewing all these people. They all have a different piece of the recipe. As a community, we are going to benefit from their wisdom. We're also going to explore a lot of hidden signs of trauma and talk to people who in their journey really experience this. There are so many hidden signs of trauma that you don't even realize are trauma related, like being a workaholic. I must, you know, work 24-7. If I'm not earning money with my endeavor, then it's not valuable because my family cannot starve. Hi, I'm one of those people. To this day, I still have active licenses in fields that have nothing to do with my field because like just in case the psychology thing doesn't work, I can always go back to being a makeup artist like I was when I was 18, right? I can always go back to like instructing swimming lessons or teaching self-defense, right? I always have multiple ideas of businesses because like, just in case, right? People-pleasing, being afraid to say no is another hidden sign of trauma. A fear of being a bad parent, like pathological fear, desire to do it perfectly. Perfectionism, right? But specifically not parenting, perfectionism in general, huge sign of trauma. And things that seem not related at all, like difficulties with time management, or a tendency to be bullied in our adult lives and inability to assert ourselves. There are so many hidden signs of trauma that we don't even realize are trauma-related. We think like, you know, avoiding our kids is another one, right? There are some parents who do things simply to avoid parenting because deep down they're convinced that they're inherently flawed. And if they parent their kids by themselves, then something bad will happen, right? They'll damage their kids in some way. So avoiding our kids, and maybe that means overscheduling them and putting them into a million, you know, lessons, hiring homework tutors, hiring a cook, like doing everything you can to see your kids as little as possible. That is a hidden sign of trauma very often. And that's something that we don't realize is a hidden sign of trauma until it really hits us between our eyes. Like, oh, this is trauma. So these are the things that we have in common. We don't all have all of them in the post-traumatic parenting community, but we have some of them. And being together, coming together as a community, talking about this stuff, processing it together, supporting each other by listening to this podcast, by getting involved in the community, taking the webinar, reaching out, DMing me. We have a very active community on Instagram and on LinkedIn, you know, joining the community because I do take reader requests and being part of our community This is a way of really growing this awareness in the world so that post-traumatic parenting becomes a movement and it's a movement of awareness. We all get it. We get what our childhood taught us. We get when professor trauma is speaking and we know how to take its lessons with a grain of salt. We're not going to avoid its lessons entirely because sometimes it's right and it teaches us some useful things. Sometimes it's our purpose. It's our way of moving forward in life, but it also lies. What I like to say, by the way, about professor trauma is if you've ever heard the expression depression is anger turned inward. So I say depression is anger turned inward. Anger, aggression is anger turned outward, right? So depression is anger turned inward. Anger is depression turned outward. Progression 
is depression turned forward. Progression is anger turned forward. So it's taking our anger and using it in a constructive way. Another way of looking at it is in the post-traumatic parenting community is I use a model called AIM, and this is the model we learn in the webinar. The first part is acceptance. We have to accept the big emotions and the difficult, dirty, messy, hurt feelings that come with being a post-traumatic parent. So that's acceptance, right? And then we integrate. We integrate our identity as trauma survivors into our identity as humans and our personality. We make it a part of ourselves in a way that it's our superpower. And now we're going to hack it into a strength. We're going to use it, right? And then finally, M stands for mission. It becomes our mission in life in some way. It motivates us to move forward, whether it's start our own business or achieve a work-life balance or have a business that changes the world in some way or have a platform or move ourselves forward. It becomes our mission in life. So that aim model, acceptance, integration, mission, that's our way forward as post-traumatic parents. That's our way of impacting the world, whether it's through our parenting, through our job, through our post-traumatic growth, that's our way of impacting the world because the wisdom that trauma can confer, right? When Professor Trauma is telling the truth, right? It tells a very true truth, right? So the wisdom that Professor Trauma gives us, that is what we're going to move forward with. And the parts where Professor Trauma lies, we're going to be able to sort of Accept the discomfort of saying to Professor Trauma, I get that you're trying to be helpful here. I get that you want to serve me, but actually what you're saying is kind of unhelpful. So we're going to edit that out and we're not going to listen to that part of your voice. Thank you for coming. Thank you for helping us. But we don't really need your help right now. So that is post-traumatic parenting. I hope you join us in this journey. I hope you join our community. Please follow us on Instagram. I'm at at Dr. Kozlowitz Psychology on Instagram. Please, if you've listened to this episode, DM me, shoot me a line, comment on a post. I do respond to listener DMs. Every week on Monday nights, I host Dr. K Story Club, which is for big and little humans. And what I say is Dr. K Story Club is for little humans, but big humans can and should eavesdrop. During Dr. K Story Club, I teach parents how to hack the attunement experience of reading a storybook to kids and talking to them about big emotions and big dilemmas and big problems, right? So that the parent can use storybook reading perhaps in a way that they never had or perhaps in a way that they've never experienced with their child to create attunement because that's the time to talk to kids about their big dilemmas and things that have been going on in their life. That's the time to create that repair experience, right? So Every Monday night at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, there's Dr. K Story Club. If you DM me and your little human has a request for a topic or a particular book, I will listen to it. I will call your little human out and they get really excited when they hear their shout outs and when they hear um, that it's their story because they wanted to talk about big emotions around anger or they wanted to talk about a best friend moving away or they wanted to talk about how they feel, you know, when a teacher yells at them, whatever. And they get super excited about that. So DM me. I want this to be a super interactive experience for our community. On Thursday nights at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, I go live with Therapy Thursday where I talk about all things therapy, trauma, post-traumatic growth, 
And again, DM me and whatever question you have, I will be glad to devote a Therapy Thursday to your question, especially if I believe it's of general interest. Ours is a living, breathing, interactive community, and I cannot wait for you to join us. So welcome. Thank you so much for listening. And I truly appreciate you honoring me with your attention. I always say that attention, we don't call it paying attention by accident, right? When you make the choice to pay your attention, you have a budget of attention. When you pay me your attention, that means I would like to give you back value for that. So thank you so much for paying me your attention today. I appreciate that you budgeted attention for this podcast and for our community and welcome. I'm here on social media to be descriptive, not prescriptive. I'm here to educate, inform, and hopefully entertain, but never to treat. If listening to this podcast helps you realize that you need therapy, I am all for that. But podcasts are in therapy. Please reach out to a mental health professional licensed in your jurisdiction. You'll be glad you did. Wish post-traumatic parenting was a talk show, not a podcast? Do you have a question for me or for my guests? Great news. You can ask those questions by following me on Instagram. My handle is at Dr. Kozlowitz Psychology. It's also in the show notes. I love it when people reach out, DM, or post a question. Who knows? Your question might spark an entire episode. Come join our community. We get it. We're post-traumatic parents too. Can't wait to hear from you.